Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Some of God's most beautiful miracles and greatest work is especially evident in the aftermath of our darkest and most painful experiences. After the dark days of the crucifixion of Jesus, light breaks forth in His resurrection. After hurt is healing, after brokenness is mending, after death is life. Through this series, we are learning to pay attention to how God is moving and growing our faith in and for the aftermath. It feels like we're having church right now. And I gotta say, like I'm, I miss it. I miss these kind of moments. And maybe it's, it's these moments right now that I miss the most. The moments when our church gathers around together, praying. Like as we were having, as I was praying just now, I was just trying to get the mental picture in my mind of what I have seen time and time again in this building, that I've seen this platform with dozens and dozens of people gathered around it and clumped together, (laughs) very much breaking social distancing, loving on each other, hugging each other, praying for one another. People that don't even know each other, hands laid on strangers, but just watching the Holy Spirit move in people's lives. And, and, and it's a powerful thing. And we're going to have it again. We are going to experience that again when, I don't know, but in the meantime, thank you for worshiping with us today. Thank you for pausing from your life. Thank you for making the decision to stop putting together the puzzle to lay down the book, to turn this on. And our prayer is that it ministers to your spirit. So how you doing? Like seriously, and I know you're thinking like, Matt, are you crazy? You're asking us questions and you can't hear us respond. And man, I wish I could, but how are you doing? Like lean into me for just a second. And you can, no, I can't hear you answer that question right now. But whatever the answer is, I want you to know it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you're striving. It's okay if you're grieving. It's okay if you're rejoicing. Like wherever you are on the spectrum, like, like it's, it's, it's okay. And I need you to know that it's okay. And I know a lot of people are saying, Matt, like, I, I don't really know how I'm doing because I'm, I'm living in the aftermath of something I never saw coming. And isn't that the hardest part about this thing is we're experiencing something we never saw coming and we can't control. Those are the hardest aftermath seasons. When we're having to live through something that we never saw coming. Like we, we, we didn't prepare ourselves for this. We didn't prepare emotionally. We didn't prepare financially. We didn't pre- prepare physically. If so, we had bought all the hand sanitizer that we could have. We'd, be, we'd have pantries full of toilet paper. But we didn't see any of this coming. And it's hard. The aftermath is a hard spot. Space. It's hard to know how to navigate the aftermath. 
And what we've tried to communicate is the good news is we serve a God that is the God of the aftermath. Amen. That our God is most active in the aftermath. That we started this series just understanding that in the aftermath of our most painful moments is when God does his most beautiful miracles. And last week, we got to celebrate the most perfect example of that that history's ever known. In the aftermath of the cross was the empty tomb. In the aftermath of his death, he rose to life. Easter is the greatest example that we have that our God does his best work in the aftermath. But I also know that like the, the emotions of Easter can quickly fade away. Like last Sunday was this powerful Sunday and man, it's amazing to watch how, how God has used what God is doing through our church. Thousands of people from people all over the world being ministered to by these experiences. But I know there are some people that still are struggling. That even though that you know that God is God of the aftermath, because last week we celebrated the event that is the greatest example of it, you feel more like retreating than you do rejoicing. That even in the aftermath of Easter, you feel more like retreating than rejoicing. Well, here's the good news. You're not the only one. Because there was somebody that was very close to Jesus. That when we see him in the aftermath of the empty tomb, He's not rejoicing, he's retreating. And his name is Peter. Grab your Bible, go to the Vintage app, however you're going to follow along with me today. Go to John chapter 21. Because in the aftermath of the resurrection, Peter is not rejoicing, he is retreating. John chapter 21, start with verse 1. Let's go, the word of God together. It says afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Then in the aftermath of the empty tomb, Jesus showed up in many places and in front of many people. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Peter must have been from, from the southern portion of the kingdom because how he responds in the aftermath is he goes fishing. Some of us knows, know some guys like that, that that's like our go-to. That Peter, in the aftermath of the resurrection, he is not rejoicing, he's not preaching, he's not going out declaring that Jesus is alive, he's not hanging out with Jesus He's going fishing. That seems like a really weird way to celebrate Jesus coming back to life. But what I need to remind you is in the, in the aftermath of Jesus' greatest miracle, Peter's in the aftermath of his greatest failure. In the aftermath of Jesus' greatest miracle, Peter's in the aftermath of his greatest failure. And in failure, we tend to retreat to what's familiar. 
Come on. In the aftermath of failure, we tend to retreat to what's familiar because it's comforting to retreat to what's familiar. That's why in the aftermath of all that we're going through, we want to retreat to familiar because familiar brings us comfort. How many times have you longed for familiar? You don't use that word. You use the word normal. I'm just ready for things to get back to normal because there's something therapeutic or cathartic about normal. Like, I I just want to get back to normal. Every single one of us has said that hundreds of times because in the midst of these kind of seasons, we long for familiar. And that's what Peter, Peter is in the aftermath of his greatest failure. And in familiar, he finds comfort. So, as Jesus has come back to life, and Peter knows it. Remember last week, Peter was one of the ones that ran to the tomb, looked in, saw with his own eyes the empty tomb. He was standing in the locked room when Jesus walked in and proved that he was alive. And Peter's response to all this, let's go fishing. Because in the aftermath of Jesus' greatest miracle, Peter's in the aftermath of his greatest failure. Do you remember what happened? Grab your Bible once again. Go to Matthew 26. Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has gone before one of the first trials, before the Sanhedrin. And Peter is watching all of this stuff unfold. And while Jesus is in the temple standing before the Sanhedrin being accused of crimes that he never committed, having all these false accusations thrown his way, Peter has this encounter. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. See, I told you he was Southern. He had an accent. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. So three times Peter is asked about his connection, his association with Jesus. And all three times he gives the same response. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know this Jesus. And the Bible says that on the third time, Peter heard in the distance the rooster crow. And then he remembered what Jesus had told him earlier that night, that three times before the rooster crows, you will deny me. It says immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And it says, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. How? 
like as, as I read this story, I can't help but wonder, like how? Peter, like how could you do this? Of all the disciples that could have denied Jesus, Peter would be the last one that you would pick. Peter was, was in this inner circle with Jesus. He got to see things and experience things that, that nobody else got to experience. And here before people that are strangers, Peter cannot even own up to knowing Jesus at all. And every time I read this, I have to wrestle with, how could you? And now listen, we're never going to know what was going on in Peter's heart and mind in this moment. And so any, any theory that we come up with is really speculation or assumption on our part. And, and now I didn't know Peter, but I know people. I didn't know Peter, but I know me. And, and I think what, what brought Peter to the point of denial is the same thing that drives me and maybe drives you when we have those moments when we abandon our faith as well. Oh, don't act like you've never had them. Oh, man, I've never disowned Jesus. For, every time you disobey, that's a form of disowning. Every time that you deny his authority in your life, that's a form of disowning him. Whenever you decide to do what you want to do instead of what he's commanded to you, that's a form of disowning. But Peter, Peter's life had been changed by Jesus. If you go into Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When Peter met Jesus, his life had meaning. When Peter met, Peter had a job, Peter had a career, but Peter never, never had a purpose until he met Jesus. Peter, Peter had a skill. Peter had a way of making a living. Peter had a way of fending for his family. Peter had a, a way of making a paycheck, but he never had a, a way of real fulfillment of purpose till he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, the moment he met Jesus, the Bible says immediately he laid down his nets and followed Jesus. Peter had given up everything for Jesus. Peter had walked away. Now, I don't even think we understand culturally how hard this would have been for Peter to walk away from his family business, to do something other than what his family had ever done. Like he was sacrificing a lot. And if you read, if you read through the Gospels and you look at the life of Peter and you see everything he did and everything he said, it's hard for me to believe that the reason why Peter disowned Jesus was the presence of fear or a lack of faith. And that seems to be our go-tos to justify Peter disowning Jesus. It had to be either the presence of fear or a lack of faith. 
but there's nothing that I read about Jesus, about Peter before this incident or after this incident that convinces me that Peter was guilty of either one of those things. There's never a moment when Peter seems to be fearful and there's never a moment when he seems to not trust Jesus. This is, this is get out of the boat, Peter. Y'all remember that story? Peter and the disciples are in the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water. Yeah, that's weird. Peter was a fisherman. He had never seen that before. He had been in the water. Every time he had been on the water, he had been under the water. He sees Jesus coming out and he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on, big boy. And Peter steps over the bow of that boat and heads walking on the water. Like that's, that's a courageous dude. There was a moment when Jesus was saying some really, really hard things after Jesus fed the 5,000. And Jesus knew that a lot of people were following him just out of convenience or because they wanted, they wanted a snack. And Jesus looks at him and says, unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. And in that moment, most of the people that followed Jesus begin to walk away. And Jesus looks at Peter and the other disciples and says, what about you? Look at John chapter six. You don't wanna leave me too, do you? He says, look, everybody else is leaving. All these people are jumping ship. What about you? And notice what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter had demonstrated that, that his following of Jesus wasn't dependent on, on doing what the crowd was doing. When a lot of people were abandoning Jesus, Peter was staying. So he obviously had love and loyalty to Jesus. Even, even every time that Jesus would mention that he had to die, Peter couldn't handle it. Because he loved Jesus so much, the thought, the thought of being without him, the thought of being separated from Jesus was something that Peter couldn't even wrap his head around. Again, go to the scripture. Matthew chapter 16, pick up with verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So when Peter starts talking about, or Jesus starts talking about his death, Peter's like, no, never. That, I will never allow that to happen. And, and Jesus has to, has to rebuke Peter. On the night that Peter disowned him, the night that Jesus was arrested, if you remember when, when they shared this meal together in the upper room, Jesus predicted that they would all fall away that when all that was about to unfold would begin to happen, that they would all fall away. And Peter says in Matthew 26, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Like Peter says, nope. Everybody else might jump, Jesus, but not me. If everybody else decides they're going to stop following you, I'll be the last man standing. So much so, I'm willing to die for you. And you know what? Peter proved it. Peter's one of those that go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with Jesus. He's there when Judas comes and kisses Jesus on the cheek. He has the the servant of the high priest with him. And when the servant of the high priest goes to arrest Jesus, do you remember what Peter did? John chapter 18, verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. So this is not a man who lacked courage. This is not a man who who wasn't brash and bold. This is get out of the boat, Peter. This is I will cut your ear off for my savior, Peter. So in one moment, Peter is brave enough to attack the servant of the high priest. The consequences for that behavior would have, could have been, should have been severe. But just hours later, he's too cowardly to even acknowledge Jesus to some no-name servant girl. I'm puzzled by that. How just hours before, when they come to arrest Jesus, you are courageous enough to draw your weapon and defend your Savior only to deny him just hours later. Now, again, I have no idea. So everything I'm about to say is really just theory. But I don't, I don't, think, it was, I don't think it was fear. Some say, well, by, by this point he was scared because he was, he was watching Jesus go through all this and he didn't know what would happen to him. Maybe so, but like if they wanted Peter, they could have taken Peter in the garden when they took Jesus. There was no indication at that point that they were coming after anybody but Jesus at that point. Oh, he was afraid of the consequences of, of what would happen if he told that girl he knew Jesus. Okay, he's more afraid of the consequences of some servant girl knowing he knew Jesus than the consequences of cutting the dude's ear off. So I think when he stands before these people and refuses to acknowledge his relationship with Jesus, it's not out of, it's not a lack of love or loyalty. It's not out of a lack of faith or fear. I think it's frustration. I think by this point, Peter is so frustrated of what he has watched happen. He has just given the last three years of his life to Jesus. He has just sacrificed 
everything that he had for Jesus, walked away from everything that he had known. And here is Jesus standing before these people who don't have the power that he has, don't have the authority that he has. And he's just watching Jesus in his mind give up. And that frustrates Peter. When you're watching Jesus not do what you know he can do, that's frustrating. Isn't that frustrating for you? When you know God can, but he doesn't seem to be doing it. That's frustrating. There's nothing more frustrating than knowing what God can do and not seeing him do it. He knows. See, it's not that he doesn't have faith in Jesus. He has so much faith in Jesus, he knows that he could stop this at any moment. That with one prayer, one he had just watched him call Lazarus from the grave so that he knows he can pray in any moment and every accuser that stands before Jesus could be struck down like that. And I think Peter is watching Jesus do what Peter said he would never allow happen. And I think in that moment, frustration overwhelms him. And instead of when asked about his association with Jesus, instead of responding with faith, he reacts in frustration. And whenever we respond in faith, we're good. But when we fail to respond in faith, and react in frustration, it will eventually lead to failure. When, when we face adversity, when what we're watching God do doesn't make sense, and we get so frustrated that we abandon our faith and respond with frustration, it'll eventually end in failure. And that's what led to Peter's failure. It wasn't because he was fearful. It wasn't because he lacked faith. It was because by this point, he had gotten so frustrated with what was going on, with what he was experiencing, that in that overwhelming frustration, he compromised his faith. And he failed. And can I be honest? Like I'm worried that that's where a lot of people are getting in this season. Because you know what God, you know that God could eliminate coronavirus at any moment. You know that God could, could do all the, you, it's not that, that you doubt what God can do, is you know what God can do and he's not doing it. And so you're getting frustrated because you're praying and you're, Peter thought he was doing all the right things. He thought he was defending his Savior when he pulled out that sword. And then he was doing all the right things, but all the wrong things continued to unfold. That's frustrating. When I look back over my life, some of my most re regrettable memories come from my most frustrated moments where I get so frustrated that I say things I shouldn't say to people that I love. I get so frustrated 
with God that I abandon the disciplines I need to stay intimately close with him. It was out of frustration that Peter ended up failing. And I think if Peter had to say anything to us, because see, once he realized what he had done, it says he wept bitterly. That if you're at that point, because of everything that's happening around you, that frustration is growing and building and building and building to the point where you let it take control of your emotions and your spirit. And the next thing you know, you're going to do something that you regret. I don't want to see any of us get to that place. And I think Peter would warn us that, hey, I know this is cheesy, but I hope you'll remember it. If you don't see God doing what he can, it's because he has a better plan. When you don't see God doing what you know he can, it's because he has a better plan. See, Peter couldn't see the better plan. All he could see was his savior, the one that he loved, being tried and about to be beaten and about to be hung on a cross. And he knew that Jesus could stop it at any moment. When you can't, when you, when you see God doing something that doesn't make sense, when you don't see him doing what you know he can, believe it's because he has a better plan. But sometimes frustration is going to get the best of you. And you're going to make a mistake. And the good news is God still shows up. So in the aftermath, Peter's fishing. And John 21 says, so they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his garment around him because he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and swam. The Bible says the distance of a hundred yards to get to Jesus. In that moment, they share a meal on the beach together and Jesus says hey Peter do you love me more than these yes Lord he said you know that I love you and Jesus said feed my lambs again Jesus said Simon son of John do you, do you love me he answered yes Lord you, you know that I love you and Jesus said take care of my sheep a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and when, went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, listen, follow me. The very first thing that Jesus ever said to Peter was follow me. After all that had happened, Jesus still looks at Peter and says, follow me. See, the good news is in the aftermath of our greatest failure, we are still invited to follow. So maybe you've had moments of frustration in this season and that frustration has led to failure. The good news is the Jesus who died for you in spite of your failure still is inviting you to follow. That he, even though you acted in frustration, you still have a future. That your frustration does not destroy your future because of the forgiveness that God offers to cover your failure. And all you have to do is acknowledge that failure. Confess it to him. Pour out your heart. And he will respond, follow me. God, I pray right now for all the people in the room, whatever room they're in, a living room, an office, riding down the street in their car, who just feel overwhelmed with the guilt of failure, that there was a moment when what you were doing didn't make sense and they got so frustrated that that frustration led to compromising their faith and ended up in a failure they regret so terribly. I'm grateful that Peter isn't the only one that has the offer of forgiveness, but it's the offer that you make to every one of us, that even in our greatest failure, you offer us forgiveness and invite us to follow. And I pray that people all over the world are falling at your feet, leaning into your grace and realizing they still have a future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.